Welcome to Decoding Superhuman. This show is a deep dive into obsessions with performance and how to improve the human experience. Twice a week, I explore the latest science, technology, and tactics with experts in various fields of human optimization. I'm your host, Boomer Anderson. Enjoy the journey. Superhumans, we're back. As promised last week, this is round two with David Allen. And in case you're unfamiliar with David's work, David Allen is the author of Getting Things Done, The Art of Stress-Free Productivity. That book is an international bestseller and has been published in over 30 different languages. David is also the creator of the GTD methodology, which has captured the hearts and productivity styles of millions. I've said this before, and I'll continue to say it, GTD has simply changed my life. And because David was so generous with his time, we decided to split this apart in two episodes in order to make it easier to consume. In that first episode, which was released last week, we covered the history of David's life and really how it came to shape the workings of GTD. This week, we get really into the tactical steps for implementing GTD in everyday life. We talk about the essentials. We talk about how to really engage with your work and select what to do to be more effective. We talk about Inbox Zero and really... I loved David's candor about the work of people like Cal Newport. The show notes for this one are at decodingsuperhuman.com slash GTD2. That's in the number two. Enjoy the episode and conversation with David Allen. Yeah, I think you just blew up basically corporate meeting culture in many corporations around the world. But on the... First, from a personal perspective, the creation of next actions is a very momentum building activity because once you boil those next actions down to their literal next action, it can be very easy just to get started on things. Oh, yeah. So. There's hardly any next action that's not that, that's really hard to do. Mm-hmm. There may be some you're afraid of if you take it, what the consequences are going to be. Yeah. You, you got to fire somebody next action, pick up phone or set meeting or whatever. And then, you know, at least do that, you know, and usually those things are not nearly as, I think was Mark Twain said, you know, my life has been full of troubles, most of which never happened. <laughs> Some kind of Mark Twain-esque you know, thing to say. Yeah. And so it, it doesn't mean that there's, that life is easy. This doesn't make that easy, but it, what it does is it lowers the barrier of entry for you to engage. Mm-hmm. So on that, once you've lowered your barrier to entry and you've already done all of your less than two minute tasks, how do you choose to engage? This is something that's been absolutely fascinating to me. And I know you cover it quite well in the book, but the choosing of what to do. Well, yeah, you know, there's, there's a lot of factors, you know, where are you, you know, what tool do you have available to you? How much energy do you have? Um, and, and then, and your priorities, obviously, but priorities can make a lot of things, you know, whatever you're doing is a priority. I mean, how many different things are you doing today? Boomer, right? how many different things are you doing? Right. Yeah. I'm putting on my headset. I'm recording this. I'm doing this. I'm eating lunch I'm whatever you're making that the most important thing to do at that time. So you are probably doing hundreds, if not thousands of different things during the day. 
Mm-hmm. So you're making priority choices all the time simply by deciding what to do. The whole idea of getting things done is to make you feel comfortable about that choice, right? about what you do. Now, in order to feel really comfortable about what you're doing, now we can then go to you know, what I described as the horizons of focus, the commitments that you have. And I couldn't get it any simpler than the six horizons of that we have commitments. There's your commitment to fulfill your purpose as a human being. There's your commitment to, to make the vision happen of you being successful with that purpose. There's the commitment to then accomplish the next you know, year or two, the things you need to accomplish to make the vision show up. There's the commitment you have to maintain you, know, you as a person or an enterprise so you're healthy. How's your finances? How's your quality control? How's your technology? How's your fun factor? How's your relationships? How's your spiritual life? Then you have commitments about all the projects you need to finish, about all those open loops and all those moving parts, you know, 30 to 100 of those. Get tires on your car. Get a dog. Look into whether you want to give the kids karate lessons or not. Hire the vice president. And you have all those commitments. Then you have all the stuff you need to do about all those. And most people have 150 to 200 of those. Emails to send, stuff to buy at the store, stuff to talk to your life partner about, stuff to surf the web about. You know? And so there's a lot of different stuff out there to pick from to say, okay, how do I make a good choice about this afternoon what to do? Well, the, you know, my answer to that is, well, which of those horizons I just mentioned do you think needs some work so you know what's in that, what's the content in that horizon? Right? Maybe you need to go off-site and think about your, you know, take a, a spiritual retreat and figure out your life purpose. Maybe you need to sit down and clean the toilet you know, and, and handle the nitty-gritty ordinary mundane stuff that you know can eat you alive if that backs up on you too bad so i don't know you know so there's no simple answer to that you know set priorities i certainly you know as you know you know i abc priority one two three priority high medium low those things you know come on those give me a break you know as soon as you the problem is if you try to uh, locate your priorities in that way then what happens when you eat lunch instead of doing a where was lunch? You know, oh, oh yeah. Oh, I, well, so yeah, everything, you know, I, I have, I have all, I, you and me talking right now is my A and everything else is a C. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and after we stop, I'll make another decision about what to do. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the simple answers, even though it's can be quite subtle and also quite true is trust your gut or your, or your spirit or your liver or you know, whatever you trust that still small voice that says that looks at all the possibilities. The problem is most people don't have the inventory of their possibilities in front of them. Mm-hmm. So they'll tend to be making a priority choice based upon latest and loudest as opposed to good intuitive intelligence, but your intuitive intelligence gets, gets sparked and is more available to you. If you implement all this, get your head empty of all that stuff and then get your external brain with all the options available to you and then let your, spirit or the intuitive intelligence make a good choice about which errands to run or whether you should run errands at all or whether you need to really rewrite the business plan or whether you should have sit down and spend some really quality time with your kids because it's bugging you. I don't know. Only you would know that. And not only that, it's going to change based upon the hour of the day. It's going to change based upon, you know, your metabolism. It's going to change based upon all kinds of things out there. That's a long, long, long non-answer to your question, I guess. No, I, I liked the, the book. You used the word intuition and you've used it several times there. And I love that answer on the idea of control. 
You've, I've heard you say before, one of the greatest fears that humanity has is losing control. Mm-hmm. How does this system help us deal with that fear? Well, <clears throat> um, yeah, first of all, the, 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 the fear of being out of control is why a lot of people procrastinate about things because they don't want to engage with something if they don't feel confident it's going to turn out well or that they can engage with success to begin with. I mean, nobody gets up in the morning and say, gee, I can't wait to be an incompetent jerk today, right? So you don't want to engage in something unless you feel like I could do it well. So GTD helps a ton just by making the next action decisions, which you can then look at, oh, I can do that. Oh, let me just, let me just pick up the phone and then see what happens. Yeah, great. So yeah, again, lowering the barrier of entry then lets people feel a lot. It relieves a lot of the fear of being out of control about this thing. Mm-hmm. So most people are just feeling pretty much out of control about a whole lot of their life. But if you sit down and say, well, wait a minute, what would I like to have true? And what's the next step? Park something in a place that you trust you'll see. And ultimately, you know, you're going to have to give up control to all of it because, you know, God knows the world could end tomorrow, you know, or in two minutes. So who knows? Mm-hmm. But you, what you want is you want to be able to surf the game. Uh, you know, if, uh, I, if anybody's familiar with surfers, you know, that's kind of a good analogy. Like, are they in, totally in control? Mm. Well, it depends on how you determine that. They're in control enough to get on the board. They're in control enough to actually catch a good wave and maybe stay up, you know, on the good wave. But they're constantly falling out of control. So it's not, it's, it's not so much, but are you afraid of that? No, no, I can get back on. That's right. So it's, all, it's really more of a matter of balance in your life. Am mm-hmm. I feeling like, is my kitchen under control? You know, is my, is, is, are my podcasts under control? Is my technology under control? So it's just under control as opposed to controlling. See, I use the word, try to control your kids or the weather or your boss. I mean, good luck. But having something under control, is your car under control while you're driving? Is your bike under control while you're biking? Is the meeting under control, meaning it's stable enough to be accomplishing whatever it's trying to do? It's not flying out from under me. Right. So having something under control is really more of what this methodology does as opposed to controlling the world to make it be how you want it to be. If you were to start today and start with the basics and really start to implement getting things done, GTD methodology, how long do you typically see until it really becomes a habit with a person? Two years. Uh, well, some parts of it become habit right away. It kind of mm-hmm. depends on whether you have a little bit of the habit anyway. If you're already in the habit of taking notes, you know, then it's not going to take you that long to make it a real habit to, to fully take notes all the time. If you don't take notes at all, then it's going to take you a while you know, mm-hmm. to do that. So it kind of depends on how much you, you, of, of, the, of the methodology is already in play for you. If you're already used to uh, lists and calendars and you know, an external system, then, um, yeah, again, parts of it, it, it usually takes about, well, you know, we kind of have the twos. It takes about two minutes to understand the technology. Mm-hmm. It takes about two days to actually implement and populate at least a basic version of it. it. takes about two weeks to two months to have some of the basic parts of this start to become fairly 
common sense or commonly done and about two years before you'd feel uncomfortable not doing a weekly review or uncomfortable trying to keep anything in your head. Mm-hmm. And hopefully that doesn't discourage people. That's just the truth. And come on, it takes you two years to learn the banjo, two years to learn the tango, two years to learn to cook spaghetti. And God knows how long it takes to learn to raise a kid or to learn Dutch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah that, that one's a little difficult. <laughs> yeah. So uh, just to contrast that, how quickly do people experience benefits? Oh, as quick as to write the top 10 things on your mind right now down on a piece of paper and decide the next action on each one and watch how different you feel. You know, about 90 seconds. Wow. So did you do anything? Come on. Anybody listening to this, I'm sure at some point has felt a little overwhelmed or confused and sat down and made a list and felt better. You know, come on. I mean, none of this stuff, this is, none, none of this is like running with scissors. You know, come on. It all works. Any part of this works. You know, I'm of two minds. Usually I say, well, you know, how much of this do, should I really implement? And I say, well, just a two, just a two minute rule will change your life. If that's all you get, anything you can finish in two minutes, do it the first time it occurs to you. Otherwise it takes you longer to remember it and remind yourself and organize it than it does to finish it. Just that could, could change your life. You don't have to do anything else and that will make a huge difference. Mm-hmm. So on one hand, I'll say, look, any part of this works, that's fine. On another hand, I say, if you're not willing to do the whole thing, don't do any of it. It's too much trouble. And, okay, so how do you determine which one of those you're going with with the person in terms of whether they're going to be an all or nothing versus up it's up to them? Up to them. Yeah. I, I, you know, I'm, I'm really not a proselytizer as such. In a way, you know, I know this sounds a little, but, I, you know, at 73, I'm a little cranky and, you know, direct look i do as much as you want you know uh my my i'm not a motivational speaker i sleep as long as i can i you know i i i'm the laziest guy you ever met i'm not trying to get you to do something i'm trying to give you information if you're interested in it and letting you know that clear space in your head is the coolest place to operate from and the most productive state to operate from and I can tell you how to get clear space and it's not free. I'll tell you how to do that. Then you can pick and choose how much of that you want to do. Up to you. Why do people or those who you've heard that kind of fail in the implementation of the system, why do people struggle or fail to implement the whole system? Well, it could be a lot of reasons. One is they think, gee, uh, I don't have the right tool. So you know, I quit or gee, this sounds like too much work. Uh, I'm okay. My life is okay. Uh, you know, I'm not doing that bad. And so I don't need to go do all that stuff that they think this involves doing. Um, if people actually would sincerely try to implement the GTD process, they could fall off at any one of the stages. First of all, they could not capture everything. So they still got stuff banging around in their head. So they don't really trust the contents really because they still got stuff both places. You know, head and and external. Uh, it could be they fall off because they wrote it down, but they didn't make next action decisions about stuff. A lot of G- people who think they're implementing GTD get really lazy about their next action list, and they're not really next actions. You know, they've, they've slid back to have you know uh, projects really on their next action list. Mm-hmm. Uh, a third thing is they don't have an organization system they trust. Their or- their their list and their organization system is out of date, or it's not complete. It's not current or they haven't habitualized themselves to use it. 
they could fall off. Even if you've captured, clarified, and organized everything, if they're not doing weekly reviews and keeping it up, you'll fall off this wagon. So it's a very easy wagon to fall off of. It's a very easy one to get back on. So the idea is you want to be able to, at some point, a lot of people fall off because uh, their, their life circumstances have a, a surprising challenge that shows up. They just got promoted. They just got fired. They just bought a house. They just sold a house. They just got married. They just got divorced. They just are now having a kid. They, they, they just moved. They, they're, they now realize they got to handle mom's elder care. You know, there's all kinds of stuff that shows up out there that then throws people a loop and then they fall off the systematic approach to deal with that at some point. And that's kind of the, where's that maturity point at some point when those things happen, you get onto the GTD wagon very fast Mm -hmm. because you realize that's how you're going to navigate the move, the, the promotion, the firing, the marriage, the divorce, the yada, yada, yada. But that's a, that's why I say, after two years have been working it, that's, you'll probably stay on the, uh, you know, that'll, that'll galvanize your GTD process and you'll be great thankful for it. And the legions of testimonials we get boomer over all the years, people go, thank God I had GTD when X happened. I'm about ready to give you another one of those, but, (laughs) (laughs) okay. but we're going to, I want to jam a couple more questions. And before I do that, Mm -hmm. uh, your inbox and this idea of, I guess you can say either inbox zero or I know Cal Newport, who's a little bit more contemporary has come out with digital minimalism in terms of ignoring your email. Oh, right. Uh, right. Go empty half your garbage. Just the bad parts of your garbage. Just, just the really important parts of your garbage. Just throw those away. Let the rest just sit there. There's my response. (laughs) So for you, processing in terms of always looks the same in terms of your email going down to, to zero. What's the difference between that in your physical mailbox? You're still leaving stuff in your physical mailbox. All right. The sponsor for today's podcast is a member of the toolkit that I use on an almost daily basis to upgrade my state of being and have used it actually for the past couple of years. The guys over at Neurohacker Collective have done a fantastic job. You've heard me rave about the original stack as well as Qualia Mind on the show. But now I'm so excited because the suite of products has grown. You have Qualia Focus for that near-term bump. You have Qualia Mind Caffeine Free for all my caffeine-sensitive listeners out there. But their latest product, which just came out, is oh so exciting. It's called Eternus, and it's a 38-ingredient formula containing the most researched and premium ingredients on Earth for supporting cellular health. This is key to combating the symptoms of aging. If you want to check out Eternus, Qualia Mind, Focus, or any of the Neurohacker products, go over to neurohacker.com and plug in the code BOOMER. You'll get an additional 15% off your order. Enjoy. Very true. Why? What's the difference? Except volume and speed, sure. Mm -hmm. Understood. But there's no difference. I mean, come on, I've been on email since 1983. So, thank God. Wow, what a great tool. It is a... Don't shoot the medium. So most people just don't, most people feel kind of out of control and feel like they need to then build these some of the structures that, that, that sort of um, try to minimize. Well, what they do is 
a lot of people try to try to overstructure their life in a way because they don't feel really structured to begin with. That's why time blocking, a lot of people, the, the time blocking sort of this sort of popular idea. Time blocking. <laughs> that just means making a frigging appointment with yourself and keeping it. Duh. You know, I've done that many times. Mm-hmm. So what? You know, but I, I do that as little as I can get by with because I like to stay as flexible and spontaneous as the, as the internal and external world shows up. Why has it been so hard to create the perfect uh, GTD app? Uh, there's too much technology involved to really do it. And the market doesn't, um, is, not, is not aware enough or savvy enough to think they need it enough to get enough capital to build the real tool. Mm-hmm. Can we talk about the just on the technology side of things, just the interaction there between the knowledge as well as the technology? Because I think, uh, you know, one of your recent GTD podcasts has mentioned it's more than just the tool, right? It's kind of how you operate in everyday life. Do you mind touching on that just a little bit? Well, if you understand the GTD methodology, any tool, you can make any tool work. Mm-hmm. You know, if suddenly all of my stuff disappeared, first thing I'm going to do is get a flat surface. I'm going to get a pen and paper <laughs> and an end basket. You know, uh, that, that's what I need to do to start everything that just piled, just piled itself back up into my head. I'm going to get out of my head as fast as I can. And, you know, I don't need anything but lists. You know, so if you understand this, you can make any tool work. If you don't understand it, no tool will work. Mm-hmm. That's why everybody's into the next new, new, the new, new, next, new, 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 the next, new, new, the next, new, new. I'm sure you get sent a lot of task managers. Oh, yeah. I, they're over at last count. They were, and this was a year or two ago, there were over 300 apps that were built on the GTD methodology or purporting to. Because wow. they're basically just list managers with just different kind of bells and whistles. Mm-hmm. You know, I use a tool that a friend of mine who was my CTO for many years designed sitting on Lotus Notes because we were, I'm still using Notes. Uh, now it's IBM Notes and now HCL bought, bought it. Anyway, so and using, and he, he designed it so that as close as we could, we got it, you know, he implemented a whole lot of features, you know, that, that, that make this a lot easier. In other words, if I send you an email right now, Boomer, and I'm expecting you to get back to me, when I send the email, I, there's a radio button I hit called waiting for it, it instantly puts it on my waiting for list, date stamps it, put your name on it. So give me a give me an app that does that. Duh. Yeah. Right. And so there's a whole lot of stuff out there that that technology could do, but there's not a market for it. I know because I've done two major attempts investments with some of the brightest people on the planet back in the mid '90s in San Francisco with a company called Actioneer. We were working to design you know a piece of software that would do this, and then four or five years ago working with Intentional Software. You know, which was run by Charles Simonia, who built Word and Office and Excel, whatever, Charles and company. Mm-hmm. And both actually came up with, it, neither one was able to really create a successful product simply because the technology involved to really be able to do it. I don't, know, I don't know what you're using right now, but if you said, I need to call David by Friday, and you put that in your digital world, where would that show up in what form? On my waiting for list. So it's... No, I need to oh, call David. Call David. Call David on Friday. Be by not, Friday. By not Friday. on Friday. That's different. I used to do it, so I would tag it as sort of a priority, and I have the four different tags that you mentioned in the book, and I'd be able to pull it up right away. 
So you'd see it on a calls list. Exactly. Would you have a due date on it? Yes. And on, on Friday, would you see, hey, Boomer, call David yet? I, I have it marked in my calendar. Yeah. But would that automatically mark it in your calendar if you wrote a little post-it, call David by Friday? No. No. That's what I mean. Yeah. See, you got too many clicks and too many things to do. That's why you won't do that. Mm-hmm. So, sorry, there's too much stuff to do, right? There's too much. There are too many. It's still very labor intensive to implement GTD in the digital world. Mm-hmm. You need to really know what GTD is because the problem is out of sight, out of mind. So that's why the paper planners are actually were better tools for this simply because it was much more in your face and much more easy to see the relationship between all these guys to do is flip pages, right? I've got a Thunderbolt screen right now that I'm seeing you on, but that even that real estate can't show me what I really need to see to see the overview of all of that. Mm-hmm. Do you still carry a paper planner? No, no. David, you had a very successful career as an entrepreneur. What do you attribute a lot of that success to? You know, I don't really consider myself so much as an entrepreneur. Entrepreneur would be continually doing these kinds of things. Mm-hmm. As I say, I'd say I'm more of an educator, you know, than, and a researcher than anything else. Just turned out that it wound up creating something that was able to support me, you know, in this process. Uh, but, you know, I certainly deal with a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, certainly here in Amsterdam, you know, it's a big startup capital now, mm-hmm. stuff going on in, in that regard. Um, if I were to have an answer to that, what would it be? It would probably be uh, just staying authentic to what I know is true and, you know, putting it out in a way and then just paying attention and just course correcting when I got better data about it, having a vision of what I wanted to do with it. And then, you know, just uh, staying the course, you know, as I tell people, if you want to, my success formula for business is keep the same phone number and don't screw up. You know, stick around, you know, come on. And I've been doing this for, for years and only recently have we really gotten to where to, to, to sort of hone our own work and business down to what we do the best because now we've created partnerships around the world. Cause when we decided 10, 15 years ago that we said, okay, I think let's see if we can scale this education as opposed to just being some little boutique thing that, that I did because the world was just knocking on our door. Everybody wanted to, Hey, can I be a GTD consultant? I want to, you know, all over the world. And, um, we said, okay, I guess the world wants it. How do we do that? Well, we figured partnerships and technology were the only way to do that because I'm not the best player for the play. I'm not particularly aspirational or entrepreneurial in that way. Um, I just wanted to make sure that I could still support myself to keep doing what I'm doing, you know, with a comfortable lifestyle. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was that that was my prime driver was how do how do we do that and you know our big mission is to create a world where there are no problems only projects and that's you know i don't know how much of that's going to be fulfilled by the time i check out uh but at least that is enough of a driver to say let's well how do we keep this to as many people as we can get it to them you know and i do a lot of pro bono stuff you know so i'm kind of a little bit of a robin hood you know i charge pretty big bucks for what i do for the people that want me and can pay it then I do a lot of pro bono stuff. Just anybody who's good doing good work, you know, they, if I can help them do it better, you know, then that's, that's a lot of what keeps me and Catherine going, you know, to do that. So again, not kind of a non-answer to your question about it, but that's, 
that's kind of what keeps me motivated. keeps me, you know, I, I can't retire. I couldn't stop doing this. Anybody asks about this, I can't help but tell them something's going to improve their life mm-hmm. easily, you know, very easily. You know, and let them do what, be who they are in a much bigger, better way. Coming full circle now to your actual bachelor's thesis, I believe. Do you think we're, just looking globally, do you think we're in another age of disenchantment? Mm, I think it's an age of the stress of opportunity. Mm. And that could be from, that could be from the, the Arab world that sees the, the Western world and, you know, kind of wants, you know, a lot of what it has that they don't have and the position that they lost. So they, they have the opportunity to potentially change that. And I would think that's true for, you know, almost anybody or a parent that has their kids, their, their kid is a one year old, you know, then they want to get them into Harvard. And they need to make sure that they're listening to Mozart appropriately because down the street, they're already doing X, Y, Z programs. Oh my God, what do we need to be doing to make sure that our one year old gets into college, the right college? Oh my gosh. Stress of opportunity. That's what the web is, is the stress of opportunity. That's what social media is. Stress of opportunity. All you have to do is move yourself into crisis, have all that crash and burn, and you'd be a lot easier to focus. You'd probably be a lot more relaxed if you didn't have the opportunities for that. And that said, I mean, come on, I'm not trying to be flippant, you know, or, or uh, uh, there's another word about it. Anyway, uh, I, uh, unsophisticated about this. I mean, the world is in some challenging times with immigration, as you know, here in Europe and mm-hmm. all the stuff going on. You know, U.S. politics and and the whole you know you know sort of populist and nationalism kind of trends that are going on. Those are in the, as a historian, I can tell you, those are just big cycles that go one way or the other. Hopefully, it doesn't go too far and it destroys the world. You know, so I'm not too concerned about that. So if you say disenchantment, yeah, I think a lot of people are disenchanted simply because of what they assumed was going to be going on that didn't. You know, coming when the wall fell you know, in 89, you know, and, you know, we had this sort of hegemony that the, that the U.S. had and that we were as a world of peace and we're all going to be in free market economies and it's going to be, you know, democracy is, and is going to reign with free markets and so forth. And not realizing, you know, the, the underneath undercurrents that we're going to surface once you get rid of that sort of surface control, you know, that happened. And those were thousands of years, you know, in the making. So, you know, a lot of it from a larger perspective, it's called ho-hum, you know, same thing. So I'm not sure exactly what you mean by disenchantment, but if I would, if I were to write another essay, uh, certainly in the twenties, the disenchantment was people were disenchanted with the American middle-class culture, you know, and it's lack of sophistication, it's lack of consciousness, it's lack of awareness. And it's, you know, sort of conservative stuff that wasn't cool and didn't, didn't get, you know, where the world was going. Um, so I think to some degree, um, I think right now, it's, that's one of the things I, one of the reasons I love living in Amsterdam. I mean, this is really an oasis these days, you know, global thinking and openness and whatever. And for us to walk down the streets and feel comfortable with the 172 nationalities that live here, you know, and, and have open arms for that. And we still got the issues here in the Netherlands, but there would no other place I'd rather be right now. So if you say, yes, I, I would say I'm a bit disenchanted, certainly with the U S mm-hmm. and, you know, my wife and I intend to immigrate. Uh, but that was even before, you know, current politics and things were going on, but simply because, you know, as an American cultural history major, I discovered most of what the, the core key cool stuff about the U S thinking started a few blocks from here. 
So I didn't. Can you elaborate didn't read. on that, by the way? Uh, well, sure. Well, I would recommend anybody who's interested in that read Russell Shorto's book, Amsterdam, A History of the World's Most Liberal City, mm-hmm. which basically will inform you about how much of the Enlightenment actually started here, because this was the first place that did not grow up as a feudal society. So church and monarchy made their power on land. There was no land. As the Dutch say, you know, God created the world. The Dutch created the Netherlands. <laughs> and it was just a swampy marsh. But you can't build a dike by yourself. Mm-hmm. So in the 1400s, the, the, the Dutch, they started to build dikes and drain the land so they could actually use the land. But everybody who helped build that got equal shares of it once it was arable and once they could farm it. So group cooperation for individual economic gain was a core DNA of this culture. It's still here, but that then got exported. I mean, all the way through Spinoza and John Locke and through all that stuff that went to the American, you know, whatever. And quite frankly, most of the American culture, if you were to say what drives the culture, started in Manhattan, which was New Amsterdam, you know, in the 1600s. So, you know, that's, so yeah, so that's why we love the Dutch. We love the directness of it. We love the elegance of it. As you know, because I don't know how long you've been here. Three, coming up on three years. Yeah, well, as you probably know, these guys are incredible negotiators. They make things happen even when it looks like they can't happen. They're long-term thinkers and planners. And that's why GTD is quite popular and growing in popularity here in, here in the Netherlands, for sure. Before we move on to the final four questions, David, I told you earlier that I, I've used GTD since I was a junior I remember junior spring semester in college, and I just got back from study abroad where I spent six months in Singapore. And it changed everything for me. At that time, I was one of these people who I took on way too much. I was a member of a fraternity. I was a active person uh, on campus. I was full credits in terms of university, and I had an internship in investment banking. Over the years, using GTD, whether it was in investment banking, then starting my own business, and then bringing on people, which actually adds interesting dynamics as well, the core system has always been the same. Elements have changed, but the core system has always been GTD. So thank you, because I don't know how I would handle it without you. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. But by the way, I don't do it. I just yeah, that's true. You're the one who does it. So, well, I should say thank you for creating the system. Yeah, nice to hear when somebody actually does it. Yay. So the final four questions. First one is, how does David Allen unwind? Hmm, well, I love great massages. I love good wine. I love just walking and hanging with the dog. I meditate. Um, I love... Uh, well, painting, I started painting, you know, a couple of years ago, I just bought a flute. I have all kinds of things that, you know, kind of can attract me to go, just go, you know, chill doing those kinds of things. Uh, uh, frankly, just going for a walk. Come on. We live in a, a place, a walking city, you know, and, uh, play with my dog. You know, so kind of the simple things. But again, at 73, you know, you can have a life can can seem a good bit more simple than, you know, when I was 23, you know, or or otherwise. Favorite bottle but, of wine? Mm, just a good one. Uh, 
you know, we, we love French, Italian, well, actually really good wines any, anywhere. I was just in South Africa and the, their Chenin Blanc is, is wonderful. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if me personally, if my wife is not there because she doesn't like really rich reds, I would have a, a, a super, you know, uh, Margot or, a, a, you know, one of the, one of the elegant Bordeaux's, you know. Beautiful. I heard you're interested in technology. So I'm very curious about this next question. What's your favorite piece of technology that you've purchased in the past year? I haven't. Just upgrades. Nothing new. Nothing new. No, no. I just, uh, um, we're on a big project on the, I was was thinking, what else? What, What else new did I actually put on my computer, have on my computer? I put Slack on my computer because the project of summit was one that the, my two partners here, you know, use Slack and swear by it. I hated it. I've got another end basket I have to deal with. Exactly. Jeez, give me a break. Um, but that was kind of interesting to, to see what that was because Slack is so popular out there, mm-hmm. but that's just because most people don't manage email well. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but that's I, I, uh, nothing new actually. What book has significantly impacted your life and how you show up to perform in it? Well, you know, I, I can't think of any particular book that impacted my life, you know, that much, you know, one way or the other, other than a lot of really good books kind of give a spin to it or validate something. Anyway, I just finished one recently that I, I love because it just validated a lot of how I think. And I loved his spin on it. It's a book called The Antidote. Okay. By Oliver Berkman uh, is a Brit. Fabulous book. It's it, the subtitle is happiness for people who can't stand positive thinking. <laughs> and the, the, the content is actually much more sophisticated than the kind of you know, cute title or subtitle is anyway, because it's a lot about as opposed to rah, rah, sis, boom, bah kind of stuff that ignores the things you actually have to deal with and accept that are not necessarily fun and not necessarily easy and not necessarily whatever. And as opposed to just positively thinking yourself through that and trying to ignore them, no, you need to do it. So he does a good bit of explanation of the Stoics, which was actually a very elegant uh, uh, exposition, essentially, of the Stoic thinking. Because Stoicism is not just asceticism and you know stopping everything. It really has a lot to do with acceptance of current reality. And that's one of the reasons it, it validated a lot of why a lot of people resist and a lot of people love GTD is because it has a lot to do with accepting your current reality. Mm-hmm. Right. And a lot of people keep stuff in their head because they're afraid they're already feeling out of control to begin with. And they feel like they're going to feel out of more out of control if they get it out of their head. Right. So the whole idea of accepting where are all your commitments? What have you done? Where, what's going on in your world and being able to then look at that externally, you know, that then frees you up to see, you know, you are not your work. You do work. Right? You're not even your life. You have a life. But who's the you that does work and has a life? And so the the willingness and the ability to, to have that level of acceptance of what's true doesn't mean you have to like it. But if you're, you know, it's like the old personal growth axiom. If you, if, you know, what you resist, you're stuck with. So anything that you're resisting thinking about or accepting about yourself, your life, where you are, what's in your ecosystem, what's in your consciousness is hung up is your karma. You know, you got it. Right. So the ability to be able to release that 
the ability to be able to objectify that and the ability to be able to step back from it automatically lifts you to a whole other level of game. So uh, anyway, so the great book, it's funny too. I mean, Catherine, who doesn't normally burst out laughing when she's reading books, did several times as she was reading it because he's a great writer and he's got some great stories in there about what he's learned in that process. The Antidote, uh, Oliver Berkman. I think I'll be ordering this one right when we wrap up here. Yeah. That's a very powerful way to end this. David, thank you so much for taking the time. Where can people find out more about you? Oh, gettingthingsdone.com. You'll see our new website there. Mm-hmm. And if you look under training and coaching, you'll see the 70 countries. We've now got certified representatives that are actually delivering our training and coaching that we've done. So wherever you are in the world, um, uh, just go check it out and you'll see. And our, our newsletter is free. So sign up for that. You know, I write essays on a regular basis that come out through there. And, you know, that's kind of what's going on. We have the Getting Things Done workbook is going to be published. Penguin's publishing that in September. Wow. It's kind of of the nature, you know, the seven habits, you know, Covey's book, they did the seven habits workbook or whatever. And it was really designed because the Getting Things Done book itself is it can be quite daunting. You look at it because I just put the whole thing in there. I just, you know, I just didn't hold anything back in terms of all I had learned in 25 years, in in all those years. So it's all in there. But as you know, you hand that to somebody, they go, "Ah." (laughs) it could be a little too much or seem a bit bit daunting to engage. Mm -hmm. So we said, actually, a friend of mine said, you know, come on, have David. And he did a good bit of the heavy lifting, a couple of people of, because I'm not very good at instructional design. You know, that book that you just showed me that you just held up there was not designed to train people. It was designed to give people the whole blueprint, mm-hmm. essentially, of what it was. How much of it you decided to implement would really, really be up to you. And so it didn't make it easy to engage. So the workbook is just 10 moves to the five steps, you know, and a way to get started for people, you know, very easily. So early returns of some of our initial galleys we sent out are, seem to be very positive. Uh, people see that and say, Wow. This this is going to be a lot easier to be able to have my wife do this or have my kids do this or whatever. So we'll see anyway. So, but you'll see all that, you know, anywhere you go surf on the, our site and anywhere else that you buy books, getting things done. You know, the new edition of it is can't beat it. And it's in, you know, 25 languages, I think now out there. David. Thank you so much for this. It's been an absolute pleasure. And like I said before, it's a conversation I want to have forever. And thank you again for creating this amazing system. Sure. And let's meet for a glass of wine in in the center of Amsterdam. Absolutely. And to all the superhumans listening out there, have an absolutely epic day. All right, superhumans. When I started this podcast, I wanted to have smart conversations with smart people. I never thought I would get a chance to talk to a guy like David Allen. This conversation was absolutely incredible for me. I had the chance to ask a lot of questions, which I've had on the GTD methodology, but also on David's personal history. If you enjoyed this episode and got something out of it, Share it with everybody you know, Facebook, Twitter, LinkedIn, TikTok, whatever you're on, please just share it. And if you don't mind, I just request if you head over to iTunes, leave us a five-star review. Everything helps. The show notes for this one are decodingsuperhuman.com slash GTD2. 
and I really hope you guys have an epic day.